The HBCU Swingman Classic is just the latest attempt from Ken Griffey Jr. to improve the racial diversity in the MLB. Oh, yeah, it's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor, and current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And remember, I know it's been a week. I've been gone. I've been on hiatus. But remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter. At South Exclusive starts with an S, ends with an S. <sighs> Feels good to say that again. I ain't gonna lie, I kind of missed it. I missed it, I missed it, I missed it. We wrap up today's episode with a quick conversation around the amount of FBS transfers that Florida A&M has brought in this year and why it's not that big of a deal. Actually, I think it's the right decision for them. Before that, we'll be discussing Vincent Brown and how he should have North Carolina A&T prepared for a move into the CAA, more so than most other first-year coaches they would have been able to get. But we kick it off with Ken Griffey Jr. because he was the man who led the charge for the HBCU Swingman Classic. And though this might feel random, this is honestly just another step in the direction he's been going for years. And that is to improve the racial diversity of the MLB. For those who don't know or maybe don't pay attention, the racial diversity is at an all time low. And when you say diversity, I should specifically say of black players. It's around, I think, 6.1, 6.3%, somewhere in that range. It's the lowest in MLB history. Now, as a legend, as a person who is one of the most known baseball players in our community ever, it makes sense that somebody like Ken Griffey Jr. and his dad, Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Sr., I'm probably going to call him Jr. from now on, so I don't have to keep saying all of that. But it makes sense that they would both want to improve those numbers. And when you hear just that by itself, I think it's obvious that partnering with the HBCUs was just a logical step. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen because I'm straight at the Griffies. They want to improve the numbers. We've been through that scene that I know for a fact HBCUs want to have more of their players in there. There isn't a current HBCU player on an MLB roster. A lot of HBCU players are black. The Griffies want to improve the racial diversity from black Americans. Like it just, hello, hello. It just made sense. It was just a matter of time before it happened. Now, I think the timing of it was perfect. Honestly, you know, King Griffey Jr. said it just came to him in the middle of the night. Junior said it just came to me in the middle of the night. I started making calls, started making emails. You know, these things don't happen immediately. However, however, I think that 
no matter how long it took, could have been a year, two year process. Maybe there's a couple of failed attempts in there. Whatever the story was, the fact that it came in action and actually came to actuality at the All-Star Week in Seattle, I think that was perfect, right? Because this is Ken Griffey Jr. First off, my boy going to be mad I put his government out there, but whatever. My boy David Butler worked for ESPN, cut a, a great video, phenomenal video for Ken Griffey Jr., right? So it was a phenomenal promo. I told him I'm going to shout him out for it. Um, so go check that out. It actually just dropped today. But overall, you see how special of a moment that this was for him. It would have been easy for him to just be focused on himself, take the flowers that he's getting. And that wouldn't even, wouldn't even have been selfish, honestly. But he took a moment, took a time, and I think he seized an opportunity to showcase 50 HBCU baseball players on a stage where you typically wouldn't have had it happen. And, you know, you might question, well, why HBCU players? Because it's 50 of them. You can improve racial diversity without specifically targeting HBCUs. And I think, one, individuals versus teams, that's probably an aspect of it that he had to think about. But then also his son plays football at FAMU. So he has an HBCU tie, and I'm sure that that family component was something that was in the back of his mind for a long time. So I think that's why you see it. And I'll, I'll say this. One of the things that I appreciate right now is how in the moment we are. And sometimes I feel like not everybody is in the moment, but I feel like I am currently in the moment with seeing all of these first times, history, the increase in visibility, the partnerships with multiple leagues. Like I enjoy that. And I know it might seem like a broken record to come up here and be like, well, this is the first time and the visibility and this and the visibility. Okay. But if I have to sound like a broken record, I'd rather be a broken record of positivity than coming on here and being a broken record and saying, this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. And it's the same problem over and over. I'd rather achieve the same accomplishments in different ballparks, no pun intended, than come in here and just gripe. Of course, there's work to be done. But why can't we celebrate? You celebrate, too. If you're only focusing on the things that aren't, aren't around, they aren't apparent, you're going to be miserable. I like to smile. I'm not going to be miserable. I don't want to go through that. So me personally, I'm going to focus on the victories and having 50 HBCU players out there at All-Star Week as the kickoff to All-Star Week. Yeah, that's a, that's a victory. That's a big victory, especially my everydayers. You know how I feel. I love when we have an HBCU event that's attached to another event that's already going to get attention. I don't mind the parasitic relationship at all. Feed off of that event. People are already checking. Oh, what's going on with All Star All Star Week? Oh, you gonna have an HBCU game? I guess I'll check it out. It's part of All Star. So now you have HBCUs partnering with the MLB. The interesting thing will be: Does it continue? Because this was in Seattle this year. Ken Griffey Jr. pushed it. Like it made sense. But next year, I don't know where it'll be next year. But wherever it'll be, it's not Seattle. Junior already said. He hopes that this continues. I do as well. And we're not going to speak of it as if it isn't going to continue. So I can't wait to watch the next iteration in 2024 of the HBCU Swingman Classic. But 2023 was a wonderful addition. So thank you to King Griffey Jr. I'm glad that he partnered with the HBCUs because to me, you look at it, they were on the same path. It just made sense that they walked side by side at some point. And that point was 2023. Now, going forward, another change in this calendar year 
is North Carolina ANC. They'll be going over to the CAA, and I believe their new head coach, Vincent Brown, will be a big part of why they are at least prepared and know what's coming as they move into a new conference. And we'll explore that as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs, and Bird Dogs is the go-to essential everyday short. If you don't have a pair of these, you might be confused on why I'm so confident saying that, but if you do have a pair, you could probably cut me off and tell everybody you know as well. Because when you just step into a pair of Bird Dogs, you're like, man, these look good, slim fit, but I'll tell you what I never liked growing up, slim fitting clothes. Didn't allow me to move. I was a kid. I liked to run around. I didn't want no slim, restrictive clothing. But with bird dogs, you get the slim clothing that people like. They like the aesthetic. They like how it looks. But then you get the utility factor of being able to move. That's all I wanted. Look good. Move good. What else can you ask for in a short? Nothing. The only thing I can ask for you is to go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. When you go there, you get a free Yeti tumbler. So, Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college today and get you a pair of bird dogs and a cup. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day on Wednesday's episode, there was a little bit of news that broke before this, but I'm hoping we get more information. But Kamari Stevens is back in the transfer portal. Yes, the FAMU defensive lineman who was in the transfer portal, came back to FAMU, is now in the transfer portal again. I hope we get more information around this decision, which is why I'm not discussing it at this current moment. I don't want to say something and in the midst of recording, it gets all mixed up. But right now, we'll be looking at North Carolina A&T because it is my belief. It is my belief that Vincent Brown will help North Carolina A&T's transition from the Big South to the CAA. He's the main reason that I believe the Aggies will be prepared. And listen, everydayers, you know I'm not big. And if you don't know by now, I'll let you know. I'm not big when it comes to doing predictions and doing projections. That, that's not my lane. There's a lot of other podcasts you can go to where you'll get that. That's just not me. And it's not because I have fear of being wrong. It's just, like, it, it's, not, it's not the most useful thing for me, right? It's not my specialty. I like to react. So the idea of wins and losses, we'll get to that in, in the, mid, middle of the middle of the year, the end of the year, and how they did in their first year in the CAA. When I talk about being prepared, I mean the adjustment period. There's a roster adjustment. Then there's also just the people who are already on the roster. See, from a coaching aspect, you might sit there and say, I'm going to go into the CAA with what we got. We're going to see how we can compete. Let's, for argument's sake, say that your linemen are too small. You didn't need to have big linemen in your conference. So now you move elsewhere and your linemen are too small. That's the type of thing that'll wreck your season. Meanwhile, Vincent Brown, he'll already know something like that. Now, of course, you can't snap your fingers and just change your whole roster, especially not at a, a position like defensive line or offensive line. That's too many moving parts. But what you can do is you can start to recruit them. So now your adjustment period that is going to be multiple years, likely anyway, goes from being maybe a four-year process to a three-year process. 
because you have a coach who has experience in the CAA and he knows exactly what to look for. He might look at me like, yeah, our defensive tackles have been productive, but in the CAA, that's not going to work. I know because I was a defensive coordinator in the CAA. Right? Like, like we have to understand, I was honestly disappointed in the fact that North Carolina A&T fired Coach Washington. I just didn't understand it. I didn't know if there was some inner workings or whatnot, but it just felt like they wanted a clean slate going into a new conference. I didn't really approve of that. However, this is an area where Vincent Brown has, a, has an edge on Sam Washington. He'll know what to expect quicker, and I'm sure that he will communicate this to his team. So once again, being prepared doesn't mean you'll win. It just means you won't have a culture shock. It means you won't go in there and be like, oh, that's what this is like? If Vincent Brown is a good communicator, he'll be able to articulate that to his team, and they'll know what's coming. And talking about him being a communicator, let's look at a quote that Coach Vincent Brown had. He said, and I quote, it starts with every detail. How we dress, how we eat, how we train, how we meet, how we practice. Everything is about the details and operating at a high level. I think our kids and administration have been very supportive in helping us try to establish the culture of excellence that we know we're going to need to compete in the CAA championship and then to be able to compete on a national level. If that did nothing for you, I completely understand. That's coach speak. Every coach says that. If I if I put a whistle around my neck, Coach Gray could say that. That's just something that coaches do. They say it. But not every coach is able to have his words resonate the way that these words resonated with me personally. See, that could be hollow. It's all in the details. Real PC generic answer. It probably still was. But I also know that Coach Brown has been on multiple CAA championship staffs. So he knows what type of meal plan you're going to need. But more specifically, he knows what practice needs to look like. He knows what training regimen you need to look like. He knows what meetings need to look like. He knows what a successful program in this conference looks like. Hey, I've seen defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators who are great, but just not good head coaches. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, you have a CAA winning defensive coordinator, so you know you're going to be really good in the CAA. Not necessarily. You might not have the pieces. He might not be head coach material. I don't know. There's a lot of things. But what I will say is that if he can communicate this, which I don't think is asking too much, and the, the players are bought in, they, they, they like, I don't, they don't even have to like him. They just have to respect him enough to listen. I think that Vincent Brown has enough experiences to where there shouldn't be a culture shock when it comes to playing in the CAA. Week one. Or conference game number one. You should know what's coming. It's just about, all right, basic game plan. It's not, oh, this ain't the Big South. Not for the majority of the team, I'll say that. Now, going forward, going forward, we have some other pieces who are new. They'll be having their first conference game, but it isn't because they moved conferences as a unit. Fam, you still in the swag. But it's because we have nearly 20 FBS transfers that came to Fam U. And listen, honestly, I'm not a fan of, of FBS transfers in mass, but for FAMU, I thought it actually made a little bit of sense, and I'll tell you why as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your... First listen of the day, 
every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this is an odd topic to talk about, knowing what tomorrow's or Wednesday's episode is going to be about. But we're talking about players who are transferring to Florida A&M. Still crazy to me, the whole Kamari Stevens. I need more information. I can't wait to give this to you on Monday. I mean, on Wednesday. <laughs> I really can't. But FAMU is stockpiling FBS transfers this year. And it's a move that I typically do not support. Typically. It's a move that I don't think really provides you much sustainability. I don't think it provides you a lot of foundation a lot of times. When you get a bunch of FBS transfers, a lot of times you're bringing in or the generic FBS transfer I think of is the guy who has a year or two years of eligibility. That's not sustainable. That's not foundation to me. That's not the type of players that I'm looking for. The players that I personally am looking for, I want to have three, four years of eligibility. That's why I'm kind of the Coach Oliver mindset in the sense that, hey, I like these high school players. I can bring them into my system. The idea is they'll be here for four years. They're going to be bought in. Bring me that. Bring me those guys. Bring me that player. But I'll tell you what. Fam use aggressiveness actually makes sense, and I do not condemn it. And I'll tell you why in two parts. Number one, the players that they are getting, there are a decent amount of them that actually have three to four years of eligibility. You know, and, and maybe this should be a, ex expected when you bring in nearly 20 guys. They can't all be two-year rentals. But that's important because the thing that I don't like about the transfer portal when it comes to teams, because you know I'm pro-portal. I'm pro-portal. I Hey, I'm pro-portal, especially when it comes to players. I love the freedom that it provides them. And I'm okay with you using it. But overall, I'm not exactly fond of it in, 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 in mass. But you would think when it's 20 of them, you're going to have a solid amount that are actually three to four-year players. And that's what FAMU has done. The latest one, Ty Huggins, defensive back, out of Tulane. He comes in with three years of eligibility, graduated high school in 2021, didn't play that year, actually played only three snaps or three games in 2022. So you're looking at a guy who should come over as a redshirt sophomore, three years of eligibility. See, we can have a conversation. A lot of transfers from the FBS to the FCS didn't play much, but didn't play much ain't specific. I could be a grad transfer and just didn't play. There's guys who are, there's guys who on FAMU's roster for four years and aren't going to play much. But FAMU's bringing a bunch of guys over who also aren't that far removed from high school, meaning they'll have a lot of eligibility. That's the real key. I don't, I don't really care about how long you've been out of high school. How much eligibility do you have? And FAMU's bringing over quite a few people who do that. So that first off kind of gets rid of my concerns. So if my problem is it's not sustainable because there's not enough years of eligibility that come attached with a, uh, a transfer player, and you bring in a bunch of transfer players with eligibility, a lot of it, all right, mouth of the South, be quiet. Cool. But what is the other reason that I'm actually not upset about FAMU and their aggressive approach? Even if they had one-year rentals, I'd be okay with it because of where FAMU is right now. JSU fans, you ain't going to like this, but this is a fact. If you don't think this is a fact, I'm sorry. You got to take your fan hat off, take your fan shades off. This is a fact. A lot of schools view Jackson State as vulnerable. They view Jackson State as no longer having a stranglehold on the SWAC. That's just, that's just truth. 
They feel like the coach is gone. The, the, the quarterback is gone. Everything that made you a high profile and really dominant team is gone. Number one recruit in the nation from a year ago, gone. A lot of teams feel like this is my time. And sure, they felt like they can compete before. I'm not going to say that they just waved the white flag before the year started. But I can definitely tell you they're waving a confident flag a lot harder now that you don't have your coach and your, and your quarterback. I can tell you that for sure. Right? So, fam, you, had you not lost those pieces, already felt like this was their year to get over the top. We've seen this with the NFL. Teams who feel like they're on the cusp. Teams who feel like they're on the precipice of success. So, I got to make a splash play, a splash move, something that can get me over the hump. And I think bringing in a bunch of transfer players is what FAMU is trying to do to get them over the hump. It makes sense. If you're all in on this year and you're not scheduling any, and you're scheduling D2 teams, I mean, you don't really care about the FCS playoffs. And now you're getting a bunch of transfers. You have Jeremy Musa. You have Isaiah Major. You lost Kamari Stevens. Probably, right? 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 But you still got Gentle Hunt. So you feel solid on the front seven. This is a move that if you're all in and you only are focusing on this year, not really too much to complain about. I can support this decision wholeheartedly. Now I'll tell you one decision that has me kind of crossing or kind of scratching my head a little bit. And that's Kamari Stevens entering the transfer portal for the second time in a matter of a month and a half or two months, right? He took 40 days out of the portal and then went right back. I don't know what's going on, but I hope that we have more information by Wednesday so I can give it to you. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day today, trust Wednesday you're going to want to because I'll have some information about really one of the weirdest stories of the offseason thus far. But until then, until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.